Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in the place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who will love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Morning, everyone. Morning. My name is Bernie, one of the pastors here. Uh, it'd be really uh, good to have your leaflets ready and, and open and your Bibles open to Ephesians 6. Uh, we're going to round off and finish off our series in Ephesians. Uh, and it's a really good way to finish off, let me tell you. Let me pray so that we can get uh, all ready to be able to hear what God has in store for us today. Let's pray. Father God, we give you great praise today that you are within our midst, that Father, you are living with us through your Spirit. Uh, we pray that uh, the Spirit opens up our minds so that we might understand your Word. Uh, we depend on you, so Father, please open up our minds and our hearts that we might receive your Word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's pretty clear, isn't it, that we, uh, as we look through that last part of Ephesians, that we are in a battlefield. We have been ever since the beginning of our walk with Jesus, struggling with an invisible enemy all this time. God wraps up his teaching in Ephesians with a call to arms. If you thought that the life of a Christian is comfortable, all roses, well, God has just shattered our expectations. It's like <clears throat> it's been really dark in the whole world. God has just flicked on the lights, and then we get to see all the cockroaches that, that, that was just surrounding us. He has let us see what is in reality and what was invisible. I wonder how you felt when we read uh, of, of the battle against the devil and spiritual forces. Some of you might be a little bit surprised that in this day and age we would talk about such things as, spiritual, uh, as spirits. Uh, we might be curious, as if it's not something uh, you've had much time to think about, really. 
you might feel a little anxious because while all around you, it might be quite normal that there are spirits, even threatening ones, all the time. I remember growing up, and every Chinese New Year, uh, we would play with firecrackers. And, uh, you know, as kids, all we kind of liked was those firecrackers and the beautiful kind of colors that uh, you could see and the, big, the biggest bang uh, you can get. But I only learned later that during Chinese Year, when you do use those firecrackers, it was actually there originally to ward off all the evil spirits that are around. You know, you want to get rid of them uh, <clears throat> in, in, a, in preparation for a new year. <clears throat> Other cultures around us might be very used to having diviners and sorcerers and even witch doctors. Uh, all this might make us a little anxious when we think about this. Or you might be quite energized. I mean, you're all ready to go. You know, you've seen that beautiful sunshine out there, and you think there's a battlefield, and you're saying, when can we get into the battle? You might be feeling energized. For each of us, God's Word today is going to orient us, reorient us even, uh, to the God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. You've heard that the vertical shapes the horizontal. Did I get those uh, arm movements right? The vertical shapes the horizontal. Uh, that is, our relationship with God shapes our relationships with each other. Well, it turns out that the vertical, our relationship with God, also shapes the way that we stand against evil forces and the devil. Now, the structure of this passage follows the imperatives or the directives of God. That is, he says, be strong, put on the full armor of God, Stand firm and take. So the structure of this talk uh, and in your outline is kind of formed around those directives. And you can see that as you open up your outline. So verse 10 is the topic of this passage. This whole, this whole last section, it's the big idea, it's the main point. The goal that God has here is that we would be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. It's God's first command in this passage, and it's capping off the letter's instructions to be careful how we live. We hear in chapter 5, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And I guess we're kind of getting a better, bit, bit more information about why the days are evil. Being strong in the Lord is another way we live a life worthy of the calling we have received. Remember the second section the second half of Ephesians. The Lord here uh, predominantly refers to Jesus in Ephesians. So it's actually calling on Christ's mighty power uh, and in him and his power that we are to find strength. God exerted his great power to raise Jesus from the dead and to seat him in the heavenly realms, chapter 1. Jesus Christ is now positioned far above all rule all authority, all power, all dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also the age to come. There is no one greater, no one greater, no authority greater than Jesus, as God has placed all things under his feet. So right from the outset, in this battlefield, God wants us to rest on the might of Christ. Be strong. In the Lord. Can you imagine being a soldier in the middle of a minefield? Uh, you've already heard a huge explosion very nearby. Everything around you is shaking. Even your bones are shaking. 
And you discover that there are mines buried and hidden all around you, ready to be tripped. And now you're asking yourself, what is my next step? Where am I going to go? And yet, slowly but surely, you move forward. And far from being nervous, you are filled with confidence. Why? Because you sit in a Bushmaster. Have you heard of Bushmasters? That's the uh, you know, tank-like vehicles that we've been sending to the front line of Ukraine. They are purpose-built to protect you from those puny explosions of mines and to get you safely through the field. Well, children of God, we are in a battlefield and we can move forward sitting in the mighty power of Jesus, far greater than any bushmaster can, can protect you. The first of the imperatives is to be strong in the Lord. We have the goal of God's word here, and now we turn to the means of achieving this goal. How are we going to be strong in the Lord? Well, verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God. And this is God's second directive in this passage. We get to benefit from some protective gear, and you'll explain what that is soon. But for now, God introduces the threat. For we are to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The purpose of putting on God's armor is to be protected against the devil and to still be standing at the end. That is, the goal is that you get to the end still Christian, still receiving your eternal inheritance. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, you know we know how to protect ourselves and gear up against conventional threats. But this, this is different, to say the least. So we need to get to know a little bit about the devil. I must say, we don't know a huge amount uh, about the devil, but what we need to know, uh, we are told. So firstly, what we are told is that the devil is not human. Uh, it's not some kind of a description of a particularly evil human dictator. Our struggle, in verse 12, is, is not against flesh and blood. It's something other than human. We struggle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Even the word here for rulers uh, is used by magicians of the time to talk about their deities. God lumps them all together with the devil and the evil spiritual forces. So firstly, the threat is not human. It's not that evil humans aren't a threat, but it's that the more significant threat comes from other characters of a different domain. So firstly, not human. Second, the devil is defeated, and by the most unlikely of events. So in your, in your leaflets, John chapter 12 there says, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, Jesus, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The devil was defeated when Jesus died on the cross for us. Along with the devil, the spiritual forces were also defeated. So Colossians 2, in your handout there, it says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having 
cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Can you see how the devil is defeated? We had a debt before God because we had rejected God as our king, as our ruler. The punish we deserve from him was death, was judgment. And yet Jesus has paid that debt. He did it on that cross. And so if we trust in Jesus, we are forgiven and we get to enjoy eternal life with Jesus. Now the devil's name actually means accuser or slanderer. And he would normally hold that threat of judgment over us. But he can no longer do so. Can't do so anymore. There is no threat of judgment that he can give because it's been paid definitively on the cross. So the devil and his associates, they are defeated. And unlike some popular beliefs, it, it wasn't some kind of cosmic battle between equal power forces, but the defeat of the lesser by the enormous greater, the all-powerful God. Jesus has been seated in the heavenly realms far above all rule, all authority, power, and dominion. I remember in my youth reading a book called uh, This Present Darkness. Anyone ever read that book? Yeah, not, not many. That's good. Don't read it. Uh, it's, it's, it's not worth reading. Um, it was fictional, right? But it was really easy to kind of get hooked in as if it was reality. Uh, because it's just exciting. You know, it was, it was all about Christians battling against the forces of evil. All we need is to access the power of God. And the way that we do it is by prayer. The way that you do it to, to, to get it affecting rightly is by not wavering in your prayer. So that there's this balance, right? It kind of looks like the evil forces are winning at some point and God's forces are, willing, are winning at some points and there's spiritual forces on one end and God's people on the other end praying and stuff as if it was some kind of equal battle that's for you. It's not right. It's fictional. Christ won the battle convincingly, ultimately through his death. The Christian battle is against a defeated foe. And it wasn't much of a battle at all. So two, defeated. Thirdly, influence. Thirdly, when the devil is defeated, he still has some influence. John 8 says that the devil speaks when he speaks. He speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the way that he influences us today is by speaking lies. Lies form the devil's schemes. Lies which he invites you to swallow. It is this ruler of the kingdom of the air in chapter 2, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And the difference between us and the world is that we serve Jesus who has defeated the devil. And we know the truth to resist his lies. And this influence that the, uh, the, the, the devil has, there is an end to, the, to his influence. It says in, in Revelation 20 verse 10, it tells of the complete end of the devil when even his influence will stop, for he will be thrown into the lake 
of burning sulfur. So our fight, it's against something not human, but defeated, and yet still has some influence today. Put on the full armor of God against this foe. Something that's not immediately obvious is that the commands are addressed to Christians plural, not singular. That is, we are to, verse 13, put on the full armor of God as a gathering of Christians together, and we are to stand our ground as a church, especially when there's evil all around us in the world. You remember the Bushmaster? The Bushmaster, the, you know, the tank-like vehicle that we get to sit in as we drive through the minefield? It actually has space for more than one person. It actually allows for a group. So we get to sit in God's armored vehicle with other fellow soldiers, other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I'm, I'm no expert in, uh, in things of the devil. Uh, I kind of really don't want to be one. Um, but there is, a, there is a book that's really helpful that I've been reading to, to get ready for this sermon. And it's called, it's in your leaflet, it says, it's, uh, it's called Living with the Underworld by Peter Bolt. It's a brilliant read. You're, you're just going to get so struck and so encouraged in the confidence that we have in Jesus. Brilliant insights. On the one hand, he says, that we don't take the devil seriously enough. Because we think that the devil only works in those, uh, in those extraordinary, spectacular kind of big things, big events. When actually he works in everyday life. Anything that is taking us away from hearing the gospel and believing in it is demonic activity. And so one example that we saw in chapter 4, verse 26, where it says, In your anger, do not sin. Do you remember that passage? Do you remember that verse? Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So there you go. Opposing the devil happens in the everyday matters of how we treat our neighbor. So we battle against the devil in our marriage relationships, in the way that, that, that's, that children obey parents and parents uh, teach their children in the ways of the Lord, in the way that we treat our neighbor, in the way that we serve and care for another as a church. That's the battleground. So on the one hand, we don't take the devil seriously enough. On the other hand, we can, we can take the devil too seriously because what, you know what the devil wants? The devil wants us to look at him the same way that we look at God. We're giving him too much attention. He's not worthy of that. He doesn't deserve all that. Jesus has defeated him by dealing with our sin. Our eyes should be fixed on Jesus. And so here's a Peter Bolt's uh, comment uh, and critique on some of the deliverance ministries his critique is that, unfortunately, what they do is they end up taking your eyes away from Jesus. And instead, you're fixated on Satan and on the devil. Okay, so far, we know the goal. To be strong in the Lord. And we know the enemy, uh, the devil and the spiritual forces of evil. Now God calls us to action. So verse 14, stand firm then. This is God's third command. And now he explains what he means by putting on the full armor of God. And he uses the typical armor of a Roman soldier as a metaphor. There are different parts to that armor, and each part 
actually revisits themes that have been introduced earlier in the letter. In fact, each of the themes are intertwined and connected such that uh, they are to be seen together as a whole. It's uh, the Apostle Paul's brilliant way of summing up all that he's been writing about. So we're going to spend a bit of time uh, having a look at each, each one of those little parts of the armor, but then at the end, what we really need to do is look at it as a whole. All right, the first part of the armor is the belt of truth. That's to be buckled around your waist. Chapter 1, verse 13 tells us that the message of truth is the gospel of your salvation. The truth is all about the important, brilliant news about Jesus giving us salvation. It is by hearing the truth and believing in it that we are included in Christ, he says. And similarly, chapter 421 says that the truth is in Jesus. Jesus reveals right knowledge of being rescued by God. So, wrap around your waist this truth. Be confident that we have the genuine knowledge of how we escape God's judgment. How is it that we can be right with God? The devil might distort the truth with his lies, so know God's truth and stick to it. So you can recognize those lies. The second part of the armor is the breastplate of righteousness to protect our torso. Chapter 4, verse 23 tells us that we are to put on our new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And we are to live like who we are. We are those who have been made right with God, righteous, and we are people who are to live right in the right way, set apart for him. So secure to our body the breastplate of righteousness. Be assured that we are right before God and live out his way. The devil might accuse you of not being right with God because of your sin. So don't accept his accusation, but instead accept God's view of you. That we are right with him because he has dealt with sin in Jesus. The third part of the armor is footwear, with our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We've already heard that the gospel is the good news of salvation. And this news is not just for the Jews, but also for the non-Jews, the Gentiles like us. All are made new into a new humanity in Christ. And peace comes from God. It's found in Jesus. We have peace with God because of Jesus. And we are to live in peace with one another, keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, chapter 4 says. So be ready in the battlefield, being moved by our peace with God and each other, instead of a rebellion against God and each other that the devil desires. The fourth part of the armor is the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Faith just means trust. And we are saved through trusting in Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 8. It's not a work, as if our salvation is based on how well you have faith, how well you struggle to conjure up the faith that you might need. No, no, it's not on your work. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. Our faith is in the Lord Jesus and his work. See, the devil might fire slanderous 
things against us, saying that we have not worked enough to please God. Have you ever heard that voice in your head? Don't believe him. Instead, believe in Jesus. Trust him and his salvation. Protect ourselves with God's shield of faith. I reckon today's soldiers look quite a lot different to Roman times. Uh, it's no longer arrows that they have to defend against. It's bullets and it's shrapnel from bombs. I think it'd be a little comical if uh, you know, one, of our, one of our soldiers today kind of went out in Roman garb and started strutting himself on a, on, on a battlefield. I, I, think the, I think the enemy might just be, what is going on with that person over there? But I thought, gee, I wonder what it would look like uh, with today's armor. Like, you know, if Paul was writing today, what, what kind of armor he would talk about. He may talk about the ammunition belt of truth. Or the Kevlar body armor of righteousness. <gasps> the tactical boot <laughs> of the gospel. I could actually work out whether they use shields anymore today, so I've got the bulletproof glass of faith. It's all to help us see that God has provided what we need for protection against those that we can't even see. He's provided it. We've heard then that our goal is to be strong in the Lord against the devil, and we are to fortify ourselves in the salvation that God gives through Jesus. Now, God's final command in this passage is to take, verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I mentioned earlier uh, that the various parts of the armor overlap in ideas, and we get the same impression here as we talk about the remaining two parts of that armor. So we had to take the helmet of salvation, in chapter 2, we are dead in our transgressions, following the world, the devil, and our own desires. But God has made us alive with Christ. We were saved by grace through faith, which is a gift of God. Guard your mind and your thoughts by affirming the reality of our salvation in Jesus. And we now come to the only weapon of the armor, the sword. It's kind of actually a defensive uh, tool as well as an offensive tool, right? It's really interesting that everything else is about protection and defense, which probably tells us our posture when it comes to standing against the spiritual forces of evil. It's defensive so that we might stand rather than going on the offense, which is what Jesus has already done. There is the one weapon, and it is the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. When I say that it is no small weapon, the spirit is the seal guaranteeing our inheritance. We have access to the Father by that spirit. God lives in us by the spirit. We get to have God's presence only by his spirit. And not only that, the spirit is vital when it comes to how we know God. He is, after all, the spirit of wisdom and revelation given to us so that we may know God better. The final piece of God's armor is the word of God. So arm yourselves with our knowledge of God, his plans, and his presence. So those are the parts of the armor. We're going to look at, it, we're going to look at the armor as a whole. 
collectively, the parts of the armor, what they do is that they point to a dependence on Jesus and walking in step with him. So stand against the devil and his schemes by entrusting ourselves to Jesus, being confident of his salvation and walking in step with him. It's not the first time that we've heard of this kind of armor. It was actually present in the book of Isaiah, but there it is God himself who puts on the armor. So in your leaflets, Isaiah 59 verse 17, it says, Hey, God put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. And so the picture that we get is that these items, they belong to God. It comes from him. His actions are characterized by them and he alone provides it to us. Very much so, the emphasis on the full armor of God is God himself. Now, in Isaiah 59, God puts on his armor against his enemies, and it actually turns out it is his very own people who have their hands stained with blood and who have separated themselves from him, for they were guilty of evil deeds and violence. And in the end... It is God himself who will achieve salvation, not by their works and their efforts and their abilities, but by his. He will judge his enemies and come to those who repent of their sins. Now, that's a humbling thought. God used his armor to save people, to save us from his righteous judgment. And now we get to don his armor to rest on his salvation and his righteousness. And he promises that his judgment will fall on the devil. Now, it's not easy to see in the way that the verses are set out, but the prayer, the topic of prayer, isn't some sort of a new or unrelated topic. It actually explains how we are to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. So literally, take the helmet and the sword, praying in the Spirit on all occasions. Praying in the Spirit means praying in dependence on the Spirit. Speak to God because by the Spirit we have access to the Father. And He dwells in us. And He reveals Himself to us along with His Word. Use that sword of the Spirit by praying, asking the Father, praising Him, confessing to Him, singing to Him the Word. And do it as a collective. Do it as a church. We've got a really marvelous opportunity coming up that we can do that as a church. It's called Sing the Gospel. Thanks, Anna. It's coming up on Thursday, the 27th of October. You want to make, you want to see the, the devil flee and the spiritual forces of evil writhe in pain? You should be here at this night because we get to sing the gospel. We get to sing of of God and his strength, we get to sing in dependence on him, we get to do so and pray for us and others. If you haven't, if you haven't got that in your calendar yet, in your diary, gee, I, you probably should. It's going to be a great night. Paul also takes the opportunity to request prayer for himself. And you notice what he asked for? He's asking that the Ephesians pray in the Spirit with God's armor on. 
So pray for his speaking the gospel fearlessly, especially when it involves opening up salvation to all people. You want to see some good examples of what prayer like this looks like. You know, like, you know, full God's armor kind of prayer? Then have a look at Paul's prayers that he wrote down in Ephesians. I'll leave you to, uh, to have a look at it in your own time. Brothers and sisters in Christ, be strong in the Lord. Put on the full armor of God. Stand firm. Take salvation and the word of God. Do it with prayer. The remaining verses is all about Paul's encouragement to the Ephesian church. And he sends Tychicus to encourage them, just as Paul has sought to encourage them with his letter. It is the good work which God has prepared in advance for him to do. And he ends fittingly with a crystal clear focus on the God who is rich in mercy. Because of course, the armor is all about the focus on the God who is rich in mercy. It has been the topic of the whole of Ephesians. Those last few verses. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying 